Well, today we're going to talk about Jesus. During, uh, during service, I heard the Holy Spirit whisper, feed them freedom. Like, feed them freedom. Feed them freedom. Um, so we're going to talk about the Lord today, but first I have, uh, I wanted to talk about, kind of give a little state of the union for um, just our, um, our take on what's going on in the nation as it pertains to uh, gay marriage. I talked to John uh, in the green room about this ahead of time, and I just wanted to, um, as a church, talk about this because I love our country. Don't you love the USA? I had such an amazing childhood and so many incredible memories. Um, this is, our country is an incredible experiment in freedom. And we know that Jesus loves freedom. And I really feel that our laws, um, our constitution, the amendments, our Bill of Rights really reflect the heart of God and the kingdom of heaven better than any other nation on the planet. I think that our founding fathers were heavily uh, inspired by the Lord in, in the founding of our nation. And um, man, I grew up going to baseball games and soccer games and going out to movies and asking girls out on dates and summer camp and Boy Scouts I remember Christmas presents, feasting, vacations, road trips. I remember feeling protected. And uh, I remember thinking of our system of checks and balances when I was learning about them in school. Um, the government system of checks and balances were, are amazing and divinely inspired. Um, and our country is really great, but we have to realize that God does not need the U.S. to advance his kingdom. He needs sons and daughters. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I would rather that our government leadership be on God's side rather than pushed aside because he is the one who sets up and tears down kings. And I certainly don't want us to reap some of the bad seeds that we have sown. You know that, um, that parable where Jesus talks about seed that's sown and, and he talks about some that fall uh, I think it's along the path. I, I should have looked this up, but you'll, you'll, you'll follow me. There, there's a foul bird of the air that swoops down and snatches up these seeds so that they can't take root. And so right now, what, what's happened is some evil seed has been sown. And do you know that there's a bird of the air called the dove? His name is Holy Ghost. He can swoop down and snatch up those seeds before they take root. This is our hope. I also want to say uh, that same-sex attraction is a demon. It distorts and makes a mockery of the image of Christ, and it seeks to destroy the happiness that is found in proper union. Um, me and the rest of the leadership team at Storehouse won't change our minds concerning this. This is a, is a twisted demon. And um, the saddest part of it is, to me, is what it does to people. Um, I, I have several friends who have um, fought same-sex attraction and several friends who have given up the fight. And over the years, I see them become more and more miserable 
more and more empty. Uh, it leads to all sorts of just sadness and sorrow in their lives, and it breaks my heart. Um, but it, it really looks like some battle lines are about to be drawn, uh, which we're really not afraid about. The church has never had a problem uh, standing up for what she believes in, and, um, and we're going to continue to stand up for what we believe in. This is what the Lord told me about America. Um, I was in a, one of our 11 a.m. worship sets. That's just a reminder, Monday through Thursday, we worship and pray from 11 a.m. to noon. And uh, I was on my acoustic guitar just singing, and, and the Lord took me into the story of uh, Jairus, um, and this is a scene where um, Jesus is super popular. Everyone is pushing, this is out of Mark chapter 5, everyone is crowding in around him to touch him because he's the dude with miracles. Power is just flowing from him. He's, uh, he, th- there's already this incredible track record and rumors have spread about him like crazy. And so everyone wants to get near uh, Jesus and Jairus uh, says, hey, my daughter's super sick. She's about to die. Would you come and heal her? And basically, he's asking Jesus to leave a revival for one. And what does Jesus say? He says, yes, I'll, I'll go and heal her. And so as he's trying to work his way out of this crowd, that's when the woman with the issue of blood, you know, reached forth and touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. And and it was as if he's being delayed by all these people, but he's, he's on a mission to go heal Jairus' daughter. And on the way, uh, Jairus' servants come from his house and say, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's already dead. And you can imagine what would happen to the heart of a father in that moment. Jairus, you know, looks at the Lord and, and is heartbroken. You know, it was too late, and all these people were crowding in on him, delaying the Lord. And um, Jesus says, um, just believe. He looks at him and says, it's gonna, basically, it's going to be okay. Just believe. And he gets to uh, the house, and everyone is mourning, weeping and wailing. And the Lord says, uh, you know, stop. <laughs> Don't make all this commotion and, and weep. This child's not dead. She's only asleep. And so in that prayer meeting at 11 a.m., in in a flash, I saw the whole scene, and the Lord said, "Uh, that's America. And and I started singing, why make this commotion and weep? This child's not dead. She's only asleep. And what's going to happen is we're going to shift from having the perspective of servants, of Jairus' servants, and, we're, and as a church, we're going to stop saying America is dead, that she's lost her way. We're going to stop saying that. And we're going to start to agree with the word of the son. We're going to switch from servant to son, and we're going to start saying she's only asleep, and she's going to wake up. She's a child. And this is what the Lord has been saying to me. He said he is proud of America His his anger is not stirred. He looks at our history. He sees that there are millions of believers in our nation who have not bowed to that demon. He's looking upon the heart. He sees that 
Throughout the years, America has sent out more missionaries than any other country. He is looking upon the heart. He is proud of her, and she is a child compared to many nations in the world. We're a young experiment, and he's saying, you're just asleep, and it's time to wake up. We are a nation that shows up when weaker people are being oppressed. That's the heart of God. I don't know another country that spends more money on foreign soil, you know, helping establish justice. Can you guys think of another country that spends more money helping other nations become places of justice? That's our country. That's our inheritance. I mean, our leaders might make some stupid decisions, but... uh, there's one king, and he is still on the throne. His, his opinion towards us is to bless us and to prosper us and to give us a hope and a future. All right? So don't agree with all the negative Facebook junk. <laughs> all right. Well, that ended up taking a little bit longer than I thought. I got all fired up about the USA. America! Man, yesterday I floated in a pool for hours. It was great. I love the 4th of July. Anybody go see the fireworks? Anybody light some sparklers? By a show of hands, who in here in their life has been burned by a sparkler? Those things are treacherous! Um, okay, so I want to talk about Jesus. Who in here wants to talk about Jesus? He's a really cool guy. We're never really going to be able to exhaust his coolness. His, his, his kindness and his goodness cannot be overestimated. We're, I mean, we can shoot for the moon and talking about how awesome and kind he is, and we'll always miss the mark because he is slightly more awesome or kind than even our wildest imaginations. Come on, coffee. (laughs) Jesus was and is fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. That is um, our doctrine of Christology summed up in one sentence. He is not 60% God and 40% man. He is not 70% man and 30% God. He is both fully God and fully man, 100%. And today I wanted to talk about aspects of his humanity because really in what I've noticed about um, Western Christianity, we have an easier time understanding and believing all the things about Christ's deity. Like he's God, we worship him as such. But when we, when we really start to dive into the humanity of Christ, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And guys, I in no way am going to say anything irreverent about Jesus today. In the name of the Lord. But what I, I do want to do is talk about his humanity so that we can realize that what he walked in, we can walk in. Uh, there were times when Jesus, his behavior— and the way he related with the Father and with us uh, made it seem that he was like us. 
just like us, but there were other times when he interacted with us where it seemed he was nothing like us, but very much God. And we ask these questions, how can God grow weary? How can he get hungry? How can he not know who touched his garment when that woman with the issue of blood reached forward? Remember, he said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, a uh, better question is who didn't touch you? Because it's <laughs> like 30 people <laughs> touching you at one time right now, Jesus. Um, he, sa- he said, I felt virtue leave me. How can he be fully God but be asking the Father if there is a way for this cup of suffering to pass from him, to be avoided? And then proclaim, not my will, but yours be done. And on the other, on the other side, how can a man defy the laws of physics and walk on water? How can a man multiply food How can he heal the sick with a word, even from a long distance? How is a man able to forgive sins? How is a man able to bring himself back to life after death? The only conclusion that we can come to is that Jesus was and is both fully man and fully God and will be so forever. When he said, let us make man in our image, that was the Trinity speaking within himself. <laughs> he said, let us make man in our own image. That means that aspects of the heart of God, the Father, are in us. Aspects of the Holy Spirit are in us. Aspects of the Son are ours. We look like Jesus We move like the Spirit. We rule like the Father. So Jesus, he was born of a virgin. And this is really uh, the only way that we could believe that he was both fully God and fully man. Right? Because if, if Jesus was born of Mary and Joseph, or in other words, if Joseph uh, was part of the conception, we would just say, he's, he's a dude right? He's a normal guy. He might be a really great guy, <laughs> but he's not God. He was born just like us. And conversely, like if, if he just bypassed being uh, born of woman, if he just like descended from the clouds, you know, like Loki or something, then uh, we'd be like, that's not a dude. That is only God. He is nothing like us, right? But we had to see that he is both fully God and fully man. And so um, they dreamed up this immaculate conception. I love Christmas. Baby Jesus. He's the king of glory. Is it not crazy that the king of glory was born to an unwed teenage girl on the run from the law? Is it, is it not bizarre that the king of glory would choose such a low way to come into our realm? I mean, his, Mary had no doula. Mary had, <laughs> Mary had Joseph. There were some cows and cattle and, you know, sheep a-grazing. 
You know, those were her attending nurses in the moment. It offends my mind to think that God was, in, was a helpless infant. We have a, a two-week-old daughter. A little, yeah, almost three weeks old. And I look at her, and um, she 100% fully relies on my wife, Ashley, and slightly me to survive. I don't play a huge part at this point. <laughs> but that child, our, our beautiful Charlotte, would, her body would cease to function if Ashley chose to stop feeding her. Jesus was placed into the hands of Mary fully. He could not feed himself. Isn't that crazy? The king of glory would subject himself to that. He has true humanity without inherited sin. This is another reason why the, the virgin birth is very important. Um, that, that sin line had to be broken. I actually read this cool article about... Um, conception and, and how a baby grows, that there's no blood passed from the mother to the uh, growing seed, the embryo, the, the baby. That, that once that miracle happens of, of fertilization, it, the, uh, the human, the baby human, creates its own circulatory system and its own system of blood, and no blood is passed from the mother to the child. And so there was, Joseph wasn't part of the conception, the Holy Spirit came. That means that this child is holy. In fact, that's what Gabriel, the angel, said. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Therefore, the child will be called holy. Jesus had human weaknesses and limitations, just like us. He had a body that he was born in, <laughs> and he grew up just like us. It says in Luke 2.40 that he grew. In John 4.6, Jesus became weary from his journey and sat down beside a well. On his cross, Jesus was thirsty. After fasting for 40 days, Jesus was hungry. Don't you think you'd be hungry after fasting for 40 days? Well, God, this God-man, son of God, son of man, was hungry too. He was so famished that angels had to come to minister to him to bring him back. <laughs> he had physical limitations just like ours. In fact, Jesus couldn't even carry his own cross. That one will mess you up right there. Guys, if Jesus couldn't even carry his own cross, what makes us think that we can do it alone? He needed a Simon. So when you read those scriptures about take up your cross and follow me, it means do it like Jesus. You're going to need a buddy. You cannot do this alone. We need community. 
And uh, just like us, what would happen to our bodies if we were in the same predicament? Uh, he died, and his body ceased to function. And when he rose from the dead, he was in a physical body, a human body, uh, though it was one that was made perfect and no longer subject to weakness, disease, or death. In fact, he had the disciples touch him just to prove it. Because, I mean, it's pretty mind-boggling. Jesus said, see, I'm, I'm flesh and bone. Just touch me. Put, put your hand in me, right here. Put your hand in my... Could you imagine reaching your hand into the side of eternity? Do you think that Thomas had quite the encounter in that moment? I bet he stopped doubting. He even ate fish after his resurrection to prove that he is still fully human. He had a human mind that increased in wisdom, like it says in Luke 2.52. In fact, he increased in wisdom, stature, and favor. So wisdom is like skill at living, which means that Jesus as a baby was not skilled at living. Just like us. He made mistakes. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about he stumbled and fell. He had to crawl before he could walk. He probably spilled the goat milk like a clumsy kid. He had to develop skill at living, and he had to grow in that, in that wisdom. He probably even like hit his thumb with a hammer when he was trying to build a building project with his dad. He may have chewed his food with his mouth open, and Mary had to teach him that you don't chew your food with your mouth open. Right? Immaturity is not sin, guys. A lot of us are beating ourselves, like we're beating ourselves up. And we're saying, why can't I be like that super Christian who's got 30 years in the Lord on me? Well, you're growing. And God, like, I, I don't look at Charlotte and, and I don't say, oh, Charlotte, why aren't you crawling yet? What is wrong with you? Ah, oh, there's milk on your chin again. No, I'm looking at her saying, you are perfect just as you are. Stay in this stage longer than the other babies, please. Like, <laughs> Don't grow up. Like, you're perfect. I'm not berating her saying, that. why aren't you walking better yet? <laughs> but that's our perception of God's heart towards us. But Jesus had to grow up just like we do. In fact, he grew in stature. And stature is, uh, I looked this up, it's a degree of development attained. And it can literally be mean physical height or level of achievement. It can also mean promotion. In other words, as Jesus grew in wisdom, he was entrusted with more promotion. He even grew in favor. Can you believe that? God grew in favor with God and man. Favor uh, is not the same as love. We can't make him love us any more or any less, but there are differing degrees of favor. And it's obvious from Scripture uh, that because of things like friendship with the Lord, intimacy, and devotion, people can move God's heart more than others. 
You want to move God's heart more than anyone else in history? You become his best friend. That's favor. In fact, favor is, is an understanding of nepotism. You know, if you're born uh, into a family that owns a company, your father is the CEO, do you think that you're going to start as like a dishwasher? I mean, you might. Your father might be that wise. But he's probably <laughs> going to send you through college and then give you a pretty great position that you can grow into. And, it's, and you didn't, everyone's going to understand that you didn't get that job like everyone else. Right? You're, you're the CEO's son. It's, who is your father in heaven? He is the CEO of the universe. You have intergalactic nepotism on your side when you just snuggle up underneath the arm of your father and say, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, whatever you say, I'm your favorite. You grow in friendship with him and you'll grow in favor. In fact, he had to learn obedience. That one's a mystery. He learned obedience through what he suffered. All, this is Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gave up the privileges of divinity in order to get in our shoes and redeem us back to God. When it says that he emptied himself, that's a, a mysterious sentence that many theological battles have been fought over. Um, but what I've settled on in my heart, and you can settle on uh, a, another uh, conclusion through your own study, but this is what I settled on in my heart after reading many uh, inspired men of God, that he actually emptied himself of some of the privileges of his divine nature. He didn't empty himself of his divine nature, but the privileges of his divine nature. In other words, he was no longer omniscient or all-knowing. There were times when he didn't know, right? It says even the son doesn't even know the hour of his return. It's only for the father. He didn't know who touched him, like the, the woman. He uh, gave up some of his omnipotence. In other words, uh, he's not all-powerful. You remember the story where it took him a couple tries to heal the guy? Have, has anybody else? We just did it this morning. We took a couple tries. A couple swings at bat. Before healing, Jesus had the same thing happen. It's crazy to think about, isn't it? You guys with me? All right. I think this stuff is cool. Uh, he, <laughs> he gave up some of his omnipresence. In other words, he's not everywhere. He limited himself to a body. This is my favorite section. This is what I want to camp out on and end in today. Jesus had a human soul and emotions. Jesus said in John 12, my soul is troubled. In John 13, he was troubled in spirit. Matthew 26, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Matthew 8, he marveled at the faith of the centurion. Can you believe that? Jesus 
who designed the molecules inside that centurion is suddenly impressed by the man. You can impress Jesus. In fact, he has marveled at your faith at times. You guys know that you drive the angels crazy sometimes? So, but sometimes, like, they are completely dumbfounded by your faith and devotion to the Lord because they have a much clearer view of the Father, okay? Angels are in a realm where they, they, they do the Father's bidding, right? You guys believe in angels with me? Well, we don't always have the clearest view of the Father. In fact, sometimes the heavens are very much like brass, and we haven't heard God for months, and yet we're still serving Him and worshiping Him, and we face persecution and pressure and even violence and oppression from people just like Jesus faced, and the angels are like, they're still worshiping! This is amazing! You draw the attention of the heavenlies when you worship from a place of persecution. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. Lazarus. He cried loudly with tears. Like it says in Hebrews 5-7, he actually had to have a genuine human nature to be tempted at all, right? Because James 1 says that God cannot be tempted with evil. And, he doesn't, and God doesn't tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted and he doesn't tempt people. And so that proves to us that Jesus had to be 100% fully man and 100% fully God. It is a great mystery. And Jesus was tempted in every way. Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is great news. Jesus has faced it just like we have faced it. It goes on to say, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Guys, this is really important for us to have confidence in, in approaching the Father. This is really important for us to get this, that Jesus was tempted to disobey his parents. He never did, but he was tempted. There's a great difference between being tempted to do something and actually doing something. Even in internal sins of the attitude, sins of the heart and mind, Jesus was tempted in every way. He was tempted to cheat on tests. Right? He was tempted in every way. He was tempted to be cranky and short-tempered in the morning before he got his coffee. Hebrews. He was tempted to dishonor and badmouth governmental leaders. He was tempted to badmouth religious leaders and Pharisees behind their backs. Obviously, Jesus knew better than the leaders of the day, did he not? And he would have been a much better leader in the moment. But he never expressed things like that. He was tempted to lust after women. He was tempted to lust after men. 
Oof, I felt a little bit of feedback, <laughs> resistance on that one. He was tempted in every way. He was tempted to lust after wealth and power. He was tempted to beat up people who were being jerks. He was tempted to covet the lives of other people who had it easier than him. Woo! Felt that one. Jesus, you did not have it easy. He was tempted to reject people because he got rejected a lot. He was tempted to give up on people who continuously failed him. He was tempted to be impatient. He was tempted to not trust his father. He was tempted to take matters into his own hands. Guys, he walked the earth with a heart like yours. He walked the earth with a heart like mine so that I can walk in heaven with a heart like his now. He walked the earth with a heart like yours so that you can walk in heaven with a heart like his. He was anointed with the oil of joy above all of his companions. He was acquainted with grief and sorrow. Well, yeah, Jeremy, but, you know, he only got sad over the sinful conditions of Israel. I don't believe that. I think he got sad when his favorite sports team lost. He's a dude. Is it unholy to be sad when your favorite sports team loses? No. And I bet you he rejoiced greatly when his favorite sports team won. (laughs) Because he has a human soul and human emotions. In fact, emotions are straight from God, but there's this Christian sentiment that says emotions are bad and the soul is a messy place where evil abides. Guys, this cannot be true because in 3 John verse 2, it says that, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Guys, there are many Christians who are in bad health because we have ignored our souls. It says that our souls and our health will prosper. Sorry, it says that we will prosper in all things as our soul prospers. But when bad things happen, we force ourselves not to feel bad because it's unholy to not feel bad, right? It's unholy to feel bad. And when good things happen to us, we refuse to celebrate because, well, that's not humble enough. And we ignore, we ignore our God-given emotions. We sideline our passions and our hobbies because they're not as holy as other things that we could be doing with our time. Guys, we have a serious problem if we think that participating in what we love to do is less holy than praying. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus came to give us life to the full. Everything that we do, we do unto God. And we do it with the strength that he provides. So if we start to think that working our job and providing for our family with excellence is less holy than fasting and praying, we've got a big problem. 
Because he wants us to live a great life in him. But we should still pray. <laughs> this is what the Lord told me, and he can tell you this if you want to agree with me. He said, I don't just live in your heart, Jeremy. I've become your heart. And the way that you've been treating your heart is the way that you've been treating me. He said, minister to your heart. Take a vacation. Go do what you love and bring the Holy Ghost with you. Seriously, charismatic Christians are terrible at this. <laughs> we think that we can't go and enjoy the Lord in the things that he has made us love. Like he designed us to love sculpting, Dan Brooke. And he wants to be there with you. In fact, he is. Have you ever seen any of Dan Brooke's sculptures? He's inspired by the Holy Ghost to create these amazing sculptures, and the Holy Ghost is right there with him. But if he ever started to think, you know, I, this is just a hobby, and it's not as holy as getting on my knee, hands and knees and praying all day, he would rob the earth of something God wanted to birth through him. There are so many burned out believers because we have ignored our souls. We just got done with a conference called Arise and Shine. We did not call it Arise and Reflect. You know, oh, brother, I'm, I'm just a, a mere a reflection of God's glory. No, you are God's glory on the earth. He says, arise, this is Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of God has risen upon you. Even if deep darkness covers the earth, his light will be seen upon you. What is this light? Are we still waiting for this light to come? No, seriously, it's important. This is an important verse. Like, should we still be waiting for the light? Or, or, or is it, like, is it, has it come? <laughs> well, John, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, The Word gave life to everything that was created. He brought his life, uh, sorry, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light, the light, so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Who's that? So we're not still waiting for the light, are we? He is living inside of us. The light of the world has actually taken residence inside of you, and he's shining out of every area of your life that you have submitted to him. The kingdom of heaven is shining brightly through you in every place where you've remo removed the veil. And we get to delight ourselves in the Lord. Anybody in here ever delighted yourself? 
I think we need to, to, to delight ourselves some more in the Lord. I mean, get to delighting yourself. Delight yourself. Minister to your heart. Do the passions that God has placed in your heart with the Holy Spirit at your side and begin to enjoy the life that he entrusted to you. He bought you a life. Are we supposed to not enjoy the gifts that he gives? When my dad gave me Christmas presents, his desire wasn't that I would learn hard lessons from them. When my dad gave me Christmas presents and birthday presents, he wanted me to enjoy them. And it gave him great joy when I enjoyed. We delight ourselves in the Lord and he will continue to give us the desires of our hearts. It's so easy. It's like cheating in the universe. Delight yourself. Delight your soul in the Lord. Dance. Rejoice. You don't have to fake it. If you're feeling sorrowful, be fully sorrowful and go to the Lord and don't lie to him and say, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, Father, when really you're dying on the inside. You say, God, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm real sad right now. And you're the one with the cure. And you don't have to muster up fake joy either. (laughs) Just be and invite the Lord into it and you will see great transformation in your life. 